Look, a book, a podcast where Auckland librarians read stories. Join us each episode as we read moments from the stories we love. Right now, we're exploring The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham, a fantastical tale about the adventures of Mole, Ratty and Badger, and about the misadventures of their friend, Mr. Toad. I'm Sinead from Takapuna Library, and I'm joined by John Kira. from Birkenhead Library. Not that long ago, in a place not that far away, a group known as the Librarians gathered together to retell the classic stories that they love. While in the middle of their meeting, they heard a sudden, loud crash and a sad poop poop. They dashed outside to find a toad sitting in the middle of the road, holding just a steering wheel. This was none other than the rascal Mr. Toad from the Wind in the Willows, so the librarians decided to take him back to the safety of Toad Hall and try to keep his mind off cars. Today we are exploring the whimsical world of the Wind in the Willows. The author, Kenneth Graham, lived by the River Thames with his grandmother when he was young. The time he spent here was some of the happiest in his life and set the scene for the stories in the Wind in the Willows. These tales were first told as bedtime stories. Graham would tell his son Alistair all about Mole, Ratty, Badger and Toad and their marvellous adventures on the riverbank. Today, The Wind in the Willows is known as one of the most popular classic children's books of all time. We have read it over and over again and have come to know the characters as if they were old friends. Naturally, we are so excited to delve into their world with you today. Every time someone asks me to tell them a story, I usually reply with frog. But in this case, I'll be reading a story about a toad. One Mr. Toad, in fact. He is arrested and taken to court for stealing a car and driving recklessly as a consequence for ignoring what he knew was right and wrong. I really enjoy this chapter due to the different animals taking part in a court case, which reminds me of one of my favourite comics, Daredevil, where different superheroes and villains take part in court in costumes. Chapter 6 Mr. Toad, Part 2 He strode along, his head in the air, till he reached a little town, where the sign of the Red Lion, swinging across the road halfway down the main street, reminded him that he had not breakfasted that day and that he was exceedingly hungry after his long walk. He marched into the inn, ordered the best luncheon that could be provided at so short a notice, and sat down to eat it in the coffee room. He was about halfway through his meal when an only too familiar sound approaching down the street made him start and fall, a trembling all over. The poop poop drew nearer and nearer. The car could be heard to turn into the inn yard and come to a stop and Toad had to hold onto the leg of the table to conceal his overmastering emotion. Presently, the party entered the coffee room, hungry, talkative, and gay, voluble on their experience of the morning and the merits of the chariot that had brought them along so well. Toad listened eagerly, all ears, for a time. At last, he could stand it no longer. He slipped out of the room quietly, paid his bill at the bar, and as soon as he got outside, sauntered round quietly to the inn-yard. There cannot be any harm, he said to himself, in my only just looking at it. The car stood in the middle of the yard, quite unattended, the stable helps and other hangers-on being all at the diner. Toad walked slowly round it, inspecting, criticising, musing deeply. I wonder, he said to himself presently, I wonder if this sort of car starts easily. Next moment, hardly knowing how it came about, he found he had hold of the handle and was turning it, as the familiar sound broke forth. The old passion seized on Toad and completely mastered him, body and soul. As if in a dream, he found himself somehow seated in the driver's seat. As if in a dream, he pulled the lever and swung the car around the yard 
then out the archway, and as if in a dream, all sense of right and wrong, all fear of the obvious consequences, seemed temporarily suspended. He increased his pace, and the car devoured the street, and leapt forth on the high road through the open country. He was only conscious that he was towed once more, towed at his best and highest, towed the terror, the traffic queller, the lord of the lone trail, before whom all must give way or be smitten into nothingness and everlasting night. He chanted as he flew, and the car responded with sonorous drone. The miles were eaten up under him as he sped, he knew not whither, fulfilling his instincts, living his hour, reckless of what might come to him. To my mind, observed the chairman of the bench of magistrates cheerfully, the only difficulty that presents itself in this otherwise very clear case is how we can possibly make it sufficiently hot for the incograble rogue and hardened ruffian whom we see cowering in the dock before us. Let me see. He has been found guilty on the clearest evidence. First, of stealing a valuable motor car. Secondly, of driving to the public danger. And thirdly, of gross impotence to the rural police. Mr. Clerk, will you tell us, please, what is the very stiffest penalty we can impose for each of these offences? Without, of course, giving the prisoner the benefit of any doubt, because there isn't any. The clerk scratched his nose with his pen. Some people would consider, he observed, that stealing the motor car was the worst offence, and so it is. But cheeking the police undoubtedly carries the severest penalty, and so it ought. Supposing you were to say 12 months for the theft, which is mild, and 3 years for the furious driving, which is lenient, and 15 years for the cheek, which was pretty bad sort of cheek, judging by what we've heard from the witness box. Even if you only believe one-tenth part of what you heard, and I never believe more myself, those figures, if added together correctly, tot up to 19 years. First rate, said the chairman. So you had better make it around 20 years and be on the safe side, concluded the clerk. An excellent suggestion, said the chairman approvingly. Prisoner, pull yourself together and try and stand up straight. It's going to be 20 years for you this time, and mind, if you appear before us again, upon any charge, whatever, we shall have to deal with you very seriously. Then the brutal minions of the law fell upon the hapless toad, loaded him with chains, and dragged him from the courthouse, shrieking, praying, protesting, across the marketplace, where the playful populace, always as severe upon detected crime as they are sympathetic and helpful when one is merely wanted, assailed him with jeers, carrots, and popular catchwords, past hooting schoolchildren, their innocent faces lit up with the pleasure they ever derive from the sight of a gentleman in difficulties, across the hollow-sounding drawbridge, below the spiky porticles, under the frowning archway of the grim old castle, whose ancient towers soared high overhead, past guardrooms full of grinning soldiery off-duty, past sentries who coughed in a horrid, sarcastic way, because that is as much as the sentry on his post dare to do to show his contempt and abhorrence of crime. Up time-worn winding stairs, past men-at-arms and casket and corselet of steel, darting threatening looks through their visits, across courtyards where mastiffs strained at their leash and poured the air to get at him, past ancient warders their halberds leant against the wall, dozing over a pasty and a flagon of brown ale, on and on, past the rack chamber and the tumble-screw room, past the turning that led to the private scaffold, till they reached the door of the grimiest dungeon that lay in the heart of the innermost keep. There, at last, they paused, where an ancient jailer sat fingering a bunch of mighty keys. Odds bodikins, said the sergeant of the police, taking off his helmet and wiping his forehead. Rouse thee, old loon, and take over from us while vile toad 
a criminal of deepest guilt and matchless artfulness and resource. Watch and ward him with all thy skill, and mark thee well, Greybeard. Should aught untoward befall, thy old head shall answer for his, and a murian on both of them. The jailer nodded grimly, laying his withered hand on the shoulder of the miserable toad. The rusty key creaked in the lock, the great door clanged behind them, and Toad was a helpless prisoner in the remotest dungeon of the best guarded keep of the stoutest castle in all the length and breadth of Merry England. There is a famous song that has the line, It's easy to be good, it's hard to be bad. Stay out of trouble and you'll be glad. For Mr. Toad, it is not easy to be good, and staying out of trouble is almost impossible. Unfortunately, nobody ever taught him good manners, and he never learned how to be a good and kind friend. So he became selfish and thoughtless and boastful. During the story, Toad gets worse and worse, doing all sorts of harmful, silly things before he finally learns how to be a good person or a good Toad at the end and begins to make up for all the bad things he has done. I just love characters like Mr. Toad or Beast from Beauty and the Beast, who need a lot of time and lots of reminders to become kind and to stop being selfish. I always feel so proud of them when they do. I think the reason Mr. Toad is such a well-loved and famous character is that we always want him to do better, and we always know that he wants to as well, even if it is very, very deep down. For example, leading up to the extract I am about to read, Toad has stolen a car, been arrested, thrown in prison, disguised himself as a washerwoman, escaped from prison using this disguise, and is about to lie to an innocent engine driver to trick him into giving him a lift in his engine. This is all just dreadful behaviour. However, as you'll see in this chapter, when Toad thinks he has been caught, he doesn't just pretend to be sorry. He really does feel that horrible feeling of guilt. It's almost as if he just can't help being bad. He is also very, very funny and silly. I always enjoy the relationship between him and the lovely engine driver in this chapter. I know you all will too. Let's begin. Chapter 8. Toad's Adventures Oh, sir, said Toad, crying afresh. I am a poor, unhappy washerwoman, and, and I've lost all my money, and I can't pay for a ticket, and I must get home tonight somehow, and whatever I am to do, I don't know. Oh, dear, oh, dear. That's a bad business, indeed, said the engine driver. Lost your money, and you can't get home. You got some kids, too, waiting for you, I dare say. Any amount of them, sobbed Toad. And they'll be hungry, and, and playing with matches, and upsetting lamps, the little innocents, and quarrelling, and going on generally. Oh dear, oh dear. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do, said the good engine driver. You're a washerwoman to your trade, says you. Very well, that's that. And I'm an engine driver, as you well may see, and there's no denying it's terribly dirty work. Uses up a power of shirts it does, till my missus is fair tired of washing of them. If you'll wash a few shirts for me when you get home, send them along... I'll give you a ride on my engine. It's against the company's regulations, but we're not so very particular in these out-of-the-way parts. The toad's misery turned into rapture as he eagerly scrambled up into the cab of the engine. Of course, he had never washed a shirt in his life, and he couldn't if he tried, and anyhow, he wasn't going to begin. But he thought, when I get safely home to Toad Hall, and I have money again and pockets to put it in, I will send the engine driver enough to pay for quite a quantity of washing, and that will be the same thing, or better. The guard waved his welcome flag, the engine driver whistled in cheerful response, and the train moved out of the station. 
As the speed increased, and the toad could see on either side of him real fields and trees and hedges and cows and horses, all flying past him, and as he thought how every minute was bringing him nearer to Toad Hall and sympathetic friends and money to chink in his pocket and a soft bed to sleep in and good things to eat and praise and admiration at the recital of his adventures and his surpassing cleverness, he began to skip up and down and shout and sing snatches of song to the great astonishment of the engine driver who had come across washerwomen before at long intervals but never one at all like this. They had covered many and many a mile, and Toad was already thinking about what he would have for supper as soon as he got home, when he noticed that the engine driver, with a puzzled expression on his face, was leaning over the side of the engine and listening hard. Then he saw him climb onto the coals and gaze out over the top of the train. Then he returned and said, It's very strange. We're the last train running in this direction tonight, yet I could be sworn that I heard another following us. Toad ceased his frivolous antics at once. He became grave and depressed, and a dull pain in the lower part of his spine, communicating itself to his legs, made him want to sit down and try desperately not to think of all the possibilities. By this time the moon was shining brightly, and the engine driver, steadying himself on the coal, could command a view of the line behind them for a long distance. Presently he called out, "'I can see it clearly now. It is an engine. On our rails. It's coming along at a great pace. It looks as if we are being pursued.' The miserable toad, crouching in the coal dust, tried hard to think of something to do, with dismal want of success. "'They are gaining on us fast,' cried the engine driver, "'and the engine is crowded with the queerest lot of people, men like ancient warders, waving halberds, policemen in their helmets, waving truncheons, and shabbily dressed men in pot hats, obvious and unmistakable plain-clothes detectives even at this distance, waving revolvers and walking sticks, all waving and all shouting the same thing, stop, stop, stop. The toad fell on his knees among the coals, and, raising his clasped paws in supplication, cried, Save me, only save me, dear, kind Mr. Engine Driver, and I will confess everything. I am not the simple washerwoman I seem to be. I have no children waiting for me, innocent or otherwise. I am a toad, the well-known and popular Mr. Toad, a landed proprietor. I have just escaped— by my great daring and cleverness, from a loathsome dungeon into which my enemies had flung me. And if those fellows on that engine recapture me, it will be chains and bread and water and straw and misery once more for poor, unhappy, innocent Toad. The engine driver looked down upon him very sternly and said, Now, tell the truth, what were you put in prison for? It was nothing very much, said poor Toad, colouring deeply. I only borrowed a motor car while the owners were at lunch. They had no need of it at the time. I, I didn't mean to steal it, really. But people, especially magistrates, they take such harsh views of thoughtless and high-spirited actions. The engine driver looked very grave and said, I fear that you have been indeed a wicked toad, and by rights I ought to give you up to offended justice, but you're evidently in sore trouble and distress, so I won't desert you. I don't hold with motor cars for one thing, and I don't hold with being ordered about by policemen when I'm on my own engine for another. And the sight of an animal in tears always makes me feel queer and soft-hearted. So cheer up, Toad. I'll do my best, and we may beat them yet. I wonder if Mr. Toad will ever learn from his actions and the consequences that they bring. Hopefully you enjoyed getting to know Mr. Toad and the type of shenanigans he gets up to. So thanks again for listening, old chap. Find out more of the adventures that Mr. Toad, Ratty, Mole and Badger get up to in the next episode of Look a Book.
We are so lucky Kenneth Graham decided to write down these bedtime stories. The adventures of Graham's woodland creatures are an idolized Edwardian life. Long golden summers spent playing with boats, picnics plenty, rambling about with friends. Did it fill you with nostalgia for a time long ago? Or maybe it made you look forward to our long New Zealand summer ahead. Stay tuned for more episodes of Librarians Reading The Wind in the Willows. Also, head down to your local library to find out one of the many different versions or retellings for you to read, watch, or listen to. Ka kite anō.